enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Prevenex. The thing I love about recently that I love most about Prevenex is their Neurofi Plus vegan protein powder. This stuff really packs a punch. It is just completely legit. I have it for breakfast every morning. For me, it's the championship breakfast. I need to set myself up for a positive day. So by that, I mean it, first of all, it tastes really good. Second of all, it's filling. Lastly, it provides the kind of nutrients that you don't normally get out of a protein shake. It's kind of a mix between a protein shake and a meal replacement, and it's really, really high-level stuff. It really helps me out personally. So what I do is I'll have one around 7 to 7.30, kind of in, in, in that range. I drop my kids off at school. Usually I'm out of the school parking lot around 8.45, and then I park and I go for my run. So I kind of give myself about an hour and a half in the morning between shake and run, and I've been feeling great. I've had the energy I wanted without having that you know, burdensome, stomach-full type feeling. And it's really worked out well for me. And I know it can work out well for you, even if you're not a morning runner. This might be something that you want to have after your run. I've done that as well, where if I'm running super early, I come into the house, the kids are there, and it's just a chaotic situation. I get my uh, my little protein um, shaker, just put two scoops in, some water, a little bit of milk, shake it up real fast, and I've had a breakfast ready to go, and I don't have to be burdensome by making this huge breakfast while I'm trying to manage the kids. So go check it out today, Prevenex.com. Use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first order. So today's show is with Jeremy Rivera. Jeremy is someone who has been on a journey of sorts uh, the past four or five years. She went from a complete non-runner. And I say that not as someone who ran earlier in life, then stopped running and then came back. She was a complete non-runner. You might hear my dog right now. He's going crazy. A little puppy's in the background, but he's upstairs barking. If you hear that, you know, you kind of live that life, I'm sure. So um, Journey has, you know, this situation where so many of us have been in, where, you know, she was a complete novice to something, took to it so well, and is now just kicking butt. She ran Oh, she almost broke 19 minutes on a 5K just a couple weekends ago, which is truly remarkable considering where she's come. And I couldn't wait to talk to her about this and so many other things. So let's get into it with Jeremy Rivera. Hello, Jeremy, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, Jeremy. I can't wait to talk to you because it's so fun for me to talk to some individuals who in 2020 have had these really remarkable running years because not years, obviously it feels like years. <laughs> it's been yeah. one year um, because, you know, so many of us um, either things come, come up that weren't planned or there's this overwhelming sense of dread now that like the second round of race cancellations are happening. Um, but I'm so excited to chat with you because you are in a situation, it seems like at least, where you're having this remarkable running year. And it's just, while you know, that's great every single year, I feel like it's even um, more insightful and, and just nice to hear, frankly, uh, in a year like this. Yeah, you know, I uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just kind of stuck to the plan, uh, just kind of like putting in the miles and continuing to do the cross training. And so far, it's paid off, and I'm really happy about that. And you just had a, a pretty big weekend, right? Yes, I just moved, um, which was, I mean, it's been great, but it's also been a nightmare because <laughs> it's just been really hard to kind of balance work and running and moving but yeah, it's been nice now that we're kind of settled in. Yeah. And then what, and then recently as well, in addition to a move, which obviously is a crazy situation, um, it's, you also had this huge 5k that you just kicked some serious butt in. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I ran a time trial on the track. Um, and yeah, it was uh, painful. It was fun. And I had my coach kind of like pacing me. I had a specific uh, time goal that I wanted, which came out to about like a 6.05 pace. And the night before he told me like, okay, I'll pace you at six flat, which was a change of plan that I wasn't expecting. But um, I went out with him and held it and tried to hold on as long as I could. And yeah, I came in at 19.07. 
That is so awesome. I mean, that is that is really remarkable. Congratulations, Jeremy. Now, Thank you. when you were thinking about, and we'll get into the training stuff later for sure. But from an ex, from a race execution standpoint, I actually had this exact same conversation with one of my athletes today, um, just about where they were going to do their virtual 5k because there are so many options out there and you know you have the people who are you know really excited about doing it on you know a, a route that they run really often because they know like every little nick in the road and every turn so well and that, that's so nice obviously then you have like the potential for doing it on the track where you can get defined splits. You know it's 12 and a half laps. You don't have to worry about a GPS. You can just go. And once you get into a groove, you can really just kind of stay in the zone. Um, what was it like for you deciding how you wanted to um, make this day a reality? You know, I was already pretty set on doing it at the track because I was going to be able to measure out, you know, I would know definitely where that stopping point was and it would kind of be more official in my mind. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the deciding factor. And I mean, as far as, uh, doing it in a neighborhood, I wasn't too sure about that because I didn't want to go out and measure an area with a stick to kind of, you know, make sure that it was actually three point. It's, I feel like I should know this by now. It's 3.10, right? Or is it 3.2? Yeah, it's, it's three, things like 3.1, like 115, right? Yeah, it's like okay. it kind of goes a couple of decimal points. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I can definitely see that. And then also just like the GPS drama that can be associated with doing something like that isn't always the best. Um, now, when you were heading out, to do this on the track, does it also change your footwear or how do you, how do you approach that? Cause I know for some people like me, like when I do a track workout, sometimes I'll like to go with like, you know, not necessarily flats with spikes on them, but from kind of the flatter shoes, because you know, a lot of tracks don't have that built in spring with them and other people, I've seen other people like rock, like the alpha flies on the track for workout, which is like the exact opposite of a flat. So <laughs> what did you do from a shoe perspective? Yeah, I see. Um, so in Florida, there's actually not a lot of rubber tracks. A lot of them are made out of asphalt. And so, I mean, I pretty much wear flats all the time on the track. Uh, but we don't have that option here, really. I, all rubber tracks are private. Um, so we don't get access to that, unfortunately. But I do know other people who choose the Alpha Fly, uh, for the, the road track. And, uh, I don't know. I, I just kind of like being low to the ground and I don't know. There's just something I've always really liked about minimalist shoes. So I just kind of stuck with that. Yeah. And I think also when you get in a situation where you're spending literally half the race on a turn, Right. You know, so I think they think having the lower stack also helps. I know for me, like that's been a huge thing for like, when I do a track workout, it's like, it's how the shoe manages the turn is like the, feels like the most important question. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not really a fan of fluffy shoes. I, I only kind of like more, um, carbon plated shoes for like longer distance runs, kind of like for the reason that you said that they're just higher stack turn doesn't feel as good. I don't feel like I'm pawing the ground as efficiently. If that makes sense. Oh, I love that. I I love how that like that paints the picture, pawing the ground, pawing the ground. That is really cool. I uh yeah, I feel the same way. So it's first of all, I want to go back to the track thing. I didn't even think about that because now that you mentioned the whole rubberized track thing, it, it I think it is marketed as like an all-weather track, which makes it like you know, if you live up north, like you'd want that, you know, because you'd want it to last for a long time. And obviously they're, they're not the cheapest things in the world, but if you get, if you're in a situation where the weather doesn't have drastic swings, then I guess that doesn't make sense. I wonder if that, I wonder if the, uh, one of those asphalt tracks is potentially faster than the rubberized track or how it works out. Um, I guess it, it would kind of have to be about like the, the marriage between the two and the track. You know, because if you have rubberized track and you have spikes, that's different than like an asphalt track um, where maybe you don't get as good of a grip or, or what have you. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I've only had a very small opportunity to run on a rubber track, and I think it would feel amazing on a race. I just kind of warmed up on one. Uh, we have a local race here that they give you the opportunity to kind of warm up on that. And uh, 
unfortunately, that's the only time I've ever been able to try that. So I'm not sure what the differences are. All right. So you you did something that so many people want to do, right? You're like knocking on the door, breaking 19 minutes in a 5K. A lot of people really want to break that 20 minute, not only because it's really challenging, it also has that big round number. And sometimes you, when, you, when you combine those two things, it's like so, um, you know, it really has that gravity to it from a goal perspective. And when you see someone who's able to do that and really knock it out of the park like you are, I think a lot of people immediately assume like, wow, this like, wow, Journey must have been like good runner all her life. Like, cause she's run 1907 <laughs> or coaches like, let's go out and like go out six minute pace and, you know, run a 5K at six minute pace and go kick some serious butt. Um I know because I know you that that really wasn't your story. Let's let's dive back into your past. You know where you know as a, as a youngster, where did athletics and running in general fit or not fit into your life? You know, it didn't fit at all. Um, so I grew up in a household with a single mom, and that just made it extremely difficult for me to participate in after school sports because I had no one to pick me up. Afterwards, I had to ride the bus back home. Um, and I just never really liked getting sweaty. Um, it wasn't really a thing in my life. And I never considered ever being a runner. Uh, not until I was about 22. Um, I also, because I grew up in a single uh, parent household, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So... I didn't have access to like uh, sporting equipment if I even could participate. So yeah, it never really played a role in my life as a child or as a teenager. And where, and where exactly did you grow up? In Florida, in Orlando. So this is something that I know impacts a lot of people. Um, Just the idea of youth sports, not necessarily being open to all comers. Um, and not even like from a geographic standpoint, um, but also just within a community that it being potent- potentially prohibitive uh, for certain kids and families versus others. So were there certain sports that say you did want to get involved in that just didn't end up working out? Or was it just like a non-starter right from the right from the jump because you knew it wasn't going to wasn't going to happen? So I did have a local community gymnastics um it was like a class. It was very informal. It was like $2 every single time that you show up. And I showed up two times a week. So that was affordable. And I could walk there because it was like in my neighborhood right down the road from my uh, home. And so I did do that for a while. And I kind of dropped out of it after like maybe like four years. Um I just kind of lost interest. But yeah, that was pretty much the extent of my experience uh, with sports. I was mostly into art. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, no, that's that's where I was going to go next. It's like, obviously, every kid has interests and stuff like that. And not that everyone has to like the same things. So what were you excited about as a kid? I really enjoyed art, Uh, painting specifically. Um, It was something I could do at home after school. I didn't need to be part of any program, you know, it was, it was uh, more inclusive than sports was and more affordable. It's interesting that you said inclusive because I, I also envision you doing this um, as like a solo venture. So when you say inclusive, what, what exactly are you referring to? Uh, you know, I didn't require anything too particularly expensive. I didn't need to invest in expensive shoes or clothes. Um, I didn't, need to go to any events to participate in it, to participate in art. It's just something I could kind of do at home. And so that's what I mean by that. Gotcha. All right. And then as you, no, I'll just linger here for a second because you're in Florida, you're in the Orlando area, Florida, you know, given its weather specifically, you know, there is known for a lot of sports, right? If you hear, you know, different, you know, name, name a professional sports league, or the top people in any sport, you're going to get Florida participants by and large. So if you're in an area where um, sports can be, you know, not only can you get the internal validation of, of, you know, being part of a team and working hard and things like that, but there's this huge external validation potentially as well, because it's very popular in that area. What was that like for you not to be part of that? 
you know, I thought the sports kids were really cool <laughs> and I was really jealous of them. <laughs> I've, uh, so even though I didn't run, um, in middle school, I got stuck in PE a lot because I never ended up like, um, sorry, in school here, you pick your electives in middle school. I don't know if it's the same everywhere. And I just kept failing to pick my elective every year. And I would end up in PE at, by default because no one wanted to be in PE. So there were a bunch of slots for that available. And I really did enjoy doing the mile on the track. Um, but just kind of fell out of it over time. Um, and going into high school, seeing all these kids and, you know, football track, uh, I was definitely envious. All right. So age 22 comes around. You said that's when you started to pick it back up potentially. So what about that time frame in terms of what was going on in your life at that time that brought you to running? It brought you back. It's not like you were like into a lot before, but like what brought you to running at age 22 and what were the circumstances surrounding it? Yeah. So I was in college. Um, I was going to UCF which has, I believe at the time it had over 60,000 students. And because, um, I was a psychology major, there were over 200 students in every single class that I had. So every day you see a new face. Um, and because I didn't live on campus, the opportunity to make friends just wasn't there. So one day I was, um, watching um, True Life and they had a Tough Mudder episode and there was this girl who wasn't athletic, um, wanted to do something different with her life, something cool. And she jumped into a Tough Mudder and ran the whole thing. And uh, I saw that and that was really inspiring for me. And I thought, you know, that'd be a really good way to get into a community where I can know people, you know, it's smaller. I can participate in something that makes me feel positive about myself. Cause at the time I was feeling just lonely and not good. Yeah. So it was more the community base, you know, someone does a tough motor or thing like that. It does have this like huge rah-rah group component. Right. Even though it's not a group race. I mean, you can have group races in these events, um, but they don't have to be relays. Um, but it was it was that group social um, part of it and like the, just the general atmosphere around it. It was. Yeah, I'm a very social person. So going to uh, UCF and having no friends yet being surrounded by so many people still feeling alone was not a good feeling for me. And I really saw running as an opportunity to be a part of a community, be part of something bigger than myself and um, do something that challenges me. All right. So let's talk about this moment, because so many people can start their running journey in kind of that same spot that you were in. Um, But at the same time, like you're looking at running as like, all right, this can be a social endeavor for me. And as enlightening as that decision can be, it also sets up a bunch of like new questions and potential new anxieties with like, all right, like, well, what does that mean? Like, how do I approach people? Right. How do I like, there's, it's not like this community is going to start from scratch. Like they're already there and I want to join. How do I ingratiate myself with that group? How did you approach that set of questions? So I, uh, looked up a local group and, uh, I found one it's called, um, track shack uh, it's our local running store. They host uh, weekly runs. And I mean, the first day that I went there, everyone was so welcoming, so positive. Um, I didn't expect that at all. When I kind of told people around the group, because I was pretty new to running, that I was interested in doing a marathon, everyone was like, well, why not? Why can't you? I believe you can. And that planted that seed for me, um, that it was possible, you know, those people didn't even know me and they knew based on what I told them that I had never ran. And yet somehow they looked at me and was like, yeah, you could definitely do a marathon if you wanted to that, that kind of like busted that door open for me. And, uh, I mean, I have been back every Wednesday, uh, about 
since five years, five years ago. Yeah. And I know that name just because I've talked to Heather Schultz a couple of times in this podcast um, and offline as well. I know she's a part of that group and she's someone who I know has raced for them and, and been a part of that. And she's been, been so much fun to, to interact with. What like how, how big is this group? Because it does seem like it has a pretty strong connection to so many runners in that area. Yeah, it's huge. There are so many different subgroups within the Track Shack community. Um, even within the faster folks, there's groups within them as well. Um, it just kind of goes on proximity. So there's some faster runners that live on one side of town and they kind of tend to meet up. Um, and then there's more social runners and they're a ton of fun. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of diversity within that group, which is why I think, you know, when I first joined um, Track Shack, I felt it, I felt invited. I felt welcome seeing other people like me. And I also felt inspired by people like Heather Schultz. And when you say people like you, what are you referring to? You know, new runners. At the time, I was just kind of running for fun. So people like that, that, uh, you know, as someone who didn't run, the scariest thing for me would be to show up to a group that I didn't know, get smoked and feel like I didn't belong. And I did not feel that at all. Right. That's like the worst case scenario, right? Like you're, you're doing this to belong. Right. All right. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is that there's one thing to like join a running group when you are an established runner, right? Like you just said you moved, right? Like, so say like, say you moved to like a different state and you want to join a running group and here you are, you can walk around like, Hey, I got a 1907 5k PR. Like it's easy to like, <laughs> get a, get in that mix, you know, it's a whole other thing to join a new group and also be like, I'm also a novice in addition to being new to this group uh, in general. And when you have that experience, because there's going to be people who listen to this who are going to have that exact same experience, um, how do you, like, I guess specifically, how did you interact with the people within that group? And how would you advise other people in that same situation if they were about to try to do the same thing now? Well, um, I'm very, uh, I'm a social butterfly, so I just jumped right in. Um, and just started telling people like, Oh, hi, I'm Jeremy and coming up to anyone and everyone. <laughs> um, but you know, at the same time, when I went there, people, uh, were also very welcoming and approached me. I'm not really sure how I would give someone advice, uh, to come in to a group. Cause I feel like every group is different. Um, and this one was just like super welcoming with no problems. And I've been to some groups where I kind of feel ignored, even though I'm very, I'm a very in your face type of person. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. But you bring up a good point here because it cannot, it isn't necessarily about the new person joining the group. It can very much be about the group making sure that that person feels welcome. You know, and yes. I think when you, you mentioned the word inclusion before, and I loved the podcast that Carolyn Sue did with Allie Feller uh, just, I think it was just last week, and they talk about inclusion a lot. And I think this was a great point that Carolyn had brought up is that making sure that you're presenting a situation so that anyone coming into that group feels like they were thought about before they got there. And how would you then, as someone who's been a part of this group for five years, set up the social dynamics so that if someone is new or if someone is coming into the group and maybe you know is unsure about their place to let them know and to communicate just, you know, not only specifically, but holistically, that this was a welcoming space for them? Yeah. So think about it kind of in the headspace that how you would want to be treated if you were new to a group. So I typically approach people and kind of, you know, ask them like, Hey, you know, are you new here? Do you know the route? Do you know the area? I ask them about themselves because I know how intimidating it can be to come in uh, to a new group and how kind of closed off someone might feel. And I know people love talking about themselves. So I kind of ask them about their running experience and, um, 
yeah, ask them why they decided to come. Sometimes I run a little bit with them and then break off, but I do make a point to introduce people to the new person and kind of set up that culture uh, or help kind of foster that culture where we're being nice to everyone, no matter what your running experience is, your shape, your size. Because, yeah, I know how intimidating that can feel. So I try, I do try to come at it from the perspective that I want this person to feel as welcomed as I did when I first joined. And you talked about how you, tr- you try not to ever miss a Wednesday. Your group's getting together. Obviously, becoming um, a better runner requires you know, more than just one day a week. And here you are joining this group. Things are going well. You feel like the, you're ingratiating yourself into the community and you're seeing that uh, reciprocal relationship coming. What was it like for you running on your own the other days of the week in the process of continuing to not only, you know, get more fit, but also liking running just for running sake? So when I first joined, I was only running about three times a week. And one of those days was actually with people from the Wednesday run group. (laughs) Uh, So um, I actually rarely run alone, but um, the experience, I mean, it can be boring. Like I said, you know, I'm very social. So I like noise. I like people being around me. And I mean, yeah, it's not really. Well, it seems like it it was never an issue for you, which is pretty nice. I mean, so many people end up running alone for a variety of different reasons. Um, Like I can't even like, I run like with other people like three times a year. (laughs) So (laughs) for me, it's like, when I think about running, it's like my, my initial thought is uh, this is a solo endeavor. Like, I never even think about, like, like you and I have, like, these very disparate experiences with running, right? Like, the exact opposite. So, it's so funny how, like, I asked that question and you're like, I'm not even sure what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean alone running? It doesn't make any <laughs> yeah. sense. So, yeah. that, that is so interesting. Um, and then this whole thing doesn't have to be chronological, but, like, how has that worked for you in 2020 uh, in terms of that social outlet? Um, kind of being taken away. And I know that you have like, you've been in a situation going on with your home life where it's not completely taken away, but how, how have you been able to, to manage it and take positives out of it um, where um, you didn't necessarily get to have the same feel that you had to the first four years you were part of that group? Yeah, it has been difficult. Podcasts have been my uh, lifesaver. You know, even my fiance, he's also just as social as I am. We're a social couple and we love hanging out with other people. So even though, you know, we did have each other not being able to run with other people and almost like learning to fear other people (laughs) has been very difficult and, uh, very unnatural for me. Yeah. So he runs with you and it seems like he's part of the same groups that you are. Did you meet him through track shack? Uh, actually, no, we met in middle school and And we've been dating ever since. Wow. That is wild. So did he get into running at the same time you did? Pretty much. Yeah. He saw me running. And, um, so the first race that I ever did was, uh, a race inspired by Tough Mudder. It's called Savage Race. He saw me do that. I jumped into it alone because I didn't know anyone who was going to run with me. And then I did a half marathon, um, probably about like four months later. Um, and he saw me do those two and he was like, okay, I think I want to try this. This looks a little fun. So we kind of started running together um, and doing races together. He has liked it just as much as I have since then. All right. So then all of a sudden you're in a situation now where like, obviously you can't necessarily spend time with the whole group all the time. Um, and, you know, in terms of like being doing group runs now, it's tricky. You know, we don't have to get the logistics of all of it, but obviously it's tricky. Um, so with that being said, you're, you're living, you know, if you're living with, you see the same person, you're locked down with the same person all the time. And they have your same habits. Like all of a sudden you're not alone. Um, so that's obviously <laughs> a really nice thing. Um, with all of that being said, let's talk about progression because you have progressed as a runner over the last five years in a really remarkable way. You went from, Hey, I don't run 
and I never have run to now being a really, really fast runner. Um, that's objectively speaking. That's not even like a relative statement. So what were some of the benchmarks for you along the way that you look back on, um, not with pride necessarily, but like these were like some of the goals that you had over the last few years that you really worked towards and were able to achieve? Yes. Yeah, so... My first race, uh, my first big race that I've ever wanted to do, uh, when I first jumped into running was a marathon and I was dead set that I was going to do it within my first year of running. And so I did that and I ended up with a stress fracture. And so, yeah, (laughs) that was not a good idea. Uh, running three days a week, um, like 15 miles a week at most was not good training. So I, uh, had to take time off, became a little angry with myself. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this again next year. And this time I'm not going to get a stress fracture. So I tried it again and I ended up with another stress fracture. (laughs) And I think that one was because of just bad diet, not eating right. So every year I kind of learned a little bit more. The first year I didn't run enough. So the second year I ran more, but that day, that year I didn't eat very well. So I ended up with another injury. And then my third year, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to eat semi-right and uh, I'm going to put in the miles. I'm going to be more consistent. This time I ended up with a stress reaction and I was like, okay, we can recover from this. Okay. But we got to stop here. We got to stop here. We have, yeah. <laughs> we have three stress, three injuries in a row <laughs> at the beginning yeah. of the journey. Um, I guess yeah. first thing, you know, not, not training enough you know, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. And I like you, th- those were your words, um, not mine, but you know, we, we don't have to dive into that. When you say that you weren't eating quite right, what exactly does that mean? Um, I was in school, so I was eating junk food, drinking alcohol in excess. And, you know, that's not really conducive to recovery and fueling yourself correctly. So I think that what was happening was I was depleting myself with minerals, sweating, not um, fueling myself in a way that my bones could handle the stress and that my muscles could handle the stress. And that basically I would end up with an injury um, as a result of that. And with these injuries, and maybe not all three of them are the same in terms of how it came up, but were they like things that kind of came out of the blue or were there's like this slow buildup and that you're like, oh, it'll be fine or I'll take a day off here and then I'll work it out. Like, how did it come to that, you know, literally and figuratively, like the breaking point with, with these injuries? Right. So the first one, um, I did not know what was happening. I just knew my calf was like getting tighter and tighter and I'd take some time off, come back and I'd be like, Oh, it's nothing Push through it. And then that happened. And I learned what a stress fracture was (laughs) after that, after I couldn't walk anymore. Um, and then the second time I did know it was coming and I had some big races coming up and I just decided, um, I've got to go through with it anyways, which is not really a great idea. I don't suggest that anyone does that, but basically I knew that the second one was coming. And when it did happen, I wasn't too surprised. Um, the third one was the reaction was a total surprise for me. Um, it wasn't until, so I did three big races back to back. I did a marathon and then the next weekend, actually I did a Ragnar relay race, the 200 mile, uh, van race. Then the next weekend I did a marathon and then I did a half marathon the following weekend. Jumping into the deep end right from the start. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so, so you're, so you were in a situation where all of a sudden you were having you know, obviously you were going into this with gusto. Um, you were at an age diving full into this, but most people don't, right? Most people are, you know, they, they either pick up running when they're a teenager and they really get into it, or they pick it up, you know, mid to late twenties, or even come back to it mid to late twenties. A lot of people don't pick up running around the exact same time you did. And then all of a sudden you're getting, you're beset by injuries, not little injuries either, things that take a, a you know a significant amount of time to recover from. What made you want to stick with it in the face of continuous injuries? And then the, also the fear of potentially getting injured again. When I went to my physical therapist and 
I asked, you know, cause I had looked up stress factors and what they come from. And, um, I knew that mine was about inconsistency, but I was like, how on earth do you create a stress fracture running 15 miles a week? <laughs> I think it was, <laughs> I don't know how I did that. <laughs> Maybe some weeks I ran a little bit more, but I really wasn't running a lot. And so I asked him, like, is that normal? And he was like, uh, not really. I mean, it can happen, but uh, usually it doesn't if you're running that little. And so, you know, I thought, okay, I have to go back to the drawing board. Um, I want to do this again, and I want to do it right without breaking. Because I could see other people around me who would do these races, and they wouldn't break like I did. Um, and that kind of frustrated me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to come back, and I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to do it right. And so that has been my motivator. And I can hear just how you're talking right now is different than how you were talking like 20 minutes ago. Like, I mean, I can hear the edge in your voice talking about this. And you're obviously, you know, very competitive. Like you're talking about something that happened three years ago, four years ago, and you'd still like that juice is coming out. So, yeah. So did you always have a competitive streak or is this something that's kind of come along as your running has come along? Yeah, no, I have not been competitive at all. Um, I actually, even to this, I mean, I'm competitive with myself, I guess, but I did discover that after running, um, even competing with other people in a race can really scare me. Um, it almost feels like I'm sparring <laughs> and I don't like getting hit. And so, um, competition is not something that I let, that I associate with myself as, uh, something that I enjoy. So that is very interesting when I discovered when I also discovered that. So you mentioned, all right, so we talked first about like, all right, goals. Like what were some of the early goals that kind of brought you forward? It seems like the early goal was to run without getting injured. So so when were you able to start doing that? You know, I'm still waiting for that day because every time that I do a marathon, something horrendous happens. <laughs> like a month or two down the road. And it's, I've been able to manage it better every year because it's been less serious every year. So after I ran Indianapolis, it was tendonitis, which, you know, I'll take that over a stress fracture any day. Right. Okay. So for the lower, not lower races, the, the, I can't believe I just said that for, for the shorter races, like the lower races, like that makes it sound like derogatory term. Those are the races I run for goodness sake. Um, for the shorter races, you obviously were continuing to, to improve. Obviously you know, you're doing these, these, um, you know, heavy mileage segments to get ready for marathons and things like that. If that's something that, that you were really excited about doing while you were juggling, you know, the marathon segments and the injuries and things like that. What made you stick with the marathon as opposed to just sticking with maybe shorter races all the time that might've alleviated some of these, um, injuries that kept popping up? I really enjoyed, uh, just running slow and I felt like I couldn't really, I mean, I, I could do what I want, but, um, I felt pressure to run really fast in a 5k and i don't enjoy running fast i enjoy just jokes on you jeremy because you're pretty fast now yeah you know and that's funny when i tell people they're like oh my god you're so fast and i'm like yeah i don't i mean i love challenging myself but the the feeling of running fast is i akin it to like being on a roller coaster with no straps like you just take off and you're like whoa you feel your heart racing and wind blowing in your face and it feels super intense. Um, but yeah, the reason I really like marathons. Um, I really got into them seeing, watching marathons on TV, watching elites, um, seeing them overcome that huge obstacle. And I knew that if I had to run three miles, I could do it, but I didn't know if I could finish a marathon. So that was kind of my motivator signing up for it was, you know, I really wasn't sure if I could finish it. And I did have an idea in my head that if I had to come in, you know, dragging myself, I was going to do it. But obviously, you know, it's such a long event that you really don't know what's going to happen. So what was it like this year when all of a sudden all the marathons were canceled? How did you shift your mindset? 
you know, what I did, I planned all my races. I don't know how this worked out, but um, my important races were right before everything closed off. And so at first, when the shutdowns happened, I was like, you know, I got in my races. I have nothing to fear. Um, the races will come back in fall and I'll be ready. Now that they're not coming back in fall, it's been hard. Um, I kind of feel not really my confidence, but I feel, I feel myself losing motivation sometimes questioning, you know, if there's not a race, why am I doing this? Um, is when are there going to be races? Yeah. I think a lot of people are having that experience. I know that there's so many people who handled the first like you mentioned, the, for the first set of cancellations, um, even if they didn't get their races in like you did, it was like, okay, like this is a short-term measure. It's a bummer. I can deal with it. And now it's like, all right, like now the fall's getting canceled. And like so many people I feel like are losing motivation for this exact same reason. And then, you know, I turn on, uh, I was going to say turn on the TV, but that was, that'd be disingenuous. <laughs> I fired up my, my uh, I fired up my phone this morning and um, saw that the Tokyo, postponed their March marathon to October. So all of a sudden, you know, we're having Houston canceled last week. Now Tokyo's postponing. Um, so now we're, we're having this all over again, all over again, but I guess it, this, this cycle is starting to continue again. And, and, you know, here, you know, we're starting right back in the beginning and it looks like we're about to do another loop and that can be so frustrating. And again, like you mentioned, there's a motivation factor here, um, especially when people, garner so much of their motivation from competing in a race. So let's talk about what you just did because you just had a huge day, right? You set a 5k PR. You ran really, really well after, after just running really well for a long training block. So you had this big buildup. You nailed it. You had this great day. How did that finish line feeling compare to some other finish line feelings that you've had where you ran really well that day? It was great. Um, I did puke afterwards oh, and that God. wasn't good. <laughs> that definitely changed the finish line feeling a little bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, um, it was nice that we kind of had a fake race setting, um, on the track and that made it feel a little bit more real. Um, it didn't feel as cool as doing a real race, but I was really happy with my performance. And honestly, when I looked out at my watch, I couldn't even believe that I had ran the time that I did because four weeks earlier, I was trying to break 1930 and I couldn't. <laughs> so four weeks later to come so close to breaking 19, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, that was definitely a really good feeling. And I didn't know that, um, I don't know what it was that changed that made that happen. Um, but yeah, that particular race or time trial, it felt good. I kind of started piecing together like, okay, you know, I think that if I can hit 607 for a 5k in my mind, I can train to hit it for a 10k. And if I can train to hit it for a 10k, I can try to hit it for a half and hopefully a marathon in the future. So it did give me a lot of hope and kind of open those doors to, uh, potentially trying to set up new benchmarks for the future that aren't just, you know, avoid injury, but maybe hopefully, you know, Olympic trial qualify. Look at you. Look at going from, from perpetually injured non-runner to having these big <laughs> dreams. Um, that is exciting. Now, did you gain a lot of motivation from what you saw in the lead up to, to the 2020 trials? Oh, yeah. There were so many fierce women that I've been following since like 2018. Um, and then especially watching them prepare for the trials, like Stephanie Bruce, um, Allie Kiefer. Oh, so great. They give me a lot of motivation. Um, but yeah, uh, that really kind of, and I also know people in my local community who have Olympic, um, time qualified and, they are not regular. They're not regular people who went to being elite runners. I mean, I know that they were not born runners, but 
the people that I do know that uh, did get to go to the trials, they ran track in high school and college, but just seeing them do it um, as a runner from Florida gave me inspiration that maybe I could try to do that sometime. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's exciting, right? I mean, you've improved so much, like who's to say what, what the limits are. I mean, that, that is, that's definitely the truth. Now you're coming off a summer in Florida where you, you know, continue to improve and improve and improve. And here you are four weeks after your original time trial, you know, knocking it out of the park after another one. Um, I was going to ask you about training in the heat. That's where that original question was going to go. But you know what? Winter's around the corner. Who cares about training in heat? <laughs> in the, it's as still hot here. <laughs> there you go. Um, this one, I, I had the fireplace on in my house about 30 minutes ago, so I can't even relate to that right now. Um, so with, with all of that being said, let's talk about what you've done recently um, to improve your 5K time. Because a lot of people are doing virtual 5Ks and a lot of people are, you know, really trying to do better themselves. And the thing about a 5K, I feel like you can, you can improve a lot in a six-week span. Um, where some other races, you might not be able to do that. And what were some of the things that you needed to do as a 5K runner? I and mean, by that, I mean, were you someone who like had that natural speed and it was about getting stronger and maintaining that pace? Or were you one of those people like who could maintain pace really well, but you just needed to improve the speed? Like, What were some of the things that you were working on to improve your time? Yeah, so I'm a distance runner in my within my soul and I... I'm not really, um, I do not like speed. And so some of the things that I had to do was change up, um, my form to an extent, like the form that I was trying to use to get fast, um, was a form that I was using in distance running. I don't know if that makes any sense really, but, um, I had to change up the way I was running. I had to change up my the type of strength training that I was doing, adding more plyometrics, like explosive stuff. And I know that that's good for marathon training too, but I really tried to incorporate that, like focusing in on 5Ks. I changed my mantras because I have different mantras for distance running than I do in 5K work. For me, it's really a mental thing. I'm very consistent at holding a particular pace, but I'm my weaker area is pushing myself fast to just go hard and muscle through. You know, I really enjoy just um, relaxing, leaning back and jogging forever. So uh, I really have to, when it comes to 5Ks, push myself to get uncomfortable right when that gun starts and hold it. Uh, which is really difficult for me because the second that things become painful... I want to back away and go, oh, no, this sucks. This doesn't feel good and slow down. Yeah, no, I can relate to that, man. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I think anyone who's doing a 5K has that feeling of like, oh, my goodness, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And we talk all the time on this podcast about like that last 3%. Like, what are you going to do? And that last 3% in a 5K is so much different than the last 3% in a marathon, right? The marathon is about like, can I just be tough enough to maintain this? Where in the 5K, it's like, can I keep this pace, right? Like, I know I can finish, but can I keep this pace while I'm redlining and I can't breathe? Right. And I feel like in a 5K, your race can be uh, made or broken within like the first 400 meters. <laughs> and so you have to be so consistent. Start out hard, hold it. Don't even let up an inch because then, I mean, you let up even a little bit and the whole thing unravels as to where with a marathon, you have all this time to make up, you know, but I was in a 5k in January and the, I was standing in the front with the lead girls and they took off in the first 400 meters at a 530 pace. And I said, no fell back. And what they ended up doing was also falling back to a similar pace that I ended up running the entire thing at. So because they got that, um, that extra distance ahead of me, they ended up like four or five of them in a pack ended up all finishing together, like 15, 20 seconds ahead of me, just because they decided to to go. So me not pushing myself on that first bit ended up almost costing me uh, fifth place, which is what I wanted. I did get it, but um, 
yeah, I had to work for it. And I quickly learned that if I don't jump out and start redlining from the minute that the gun goes off, uh, the whole thing will come apart. And that's very much not like marathoning at all. <laughs> that's so funny. I'm like the exact opposite. Like <laughs> I almost never negative split a 5K. Even like when I'm like, even when that's the goal, I can almost never do it. Or I didn't say I can't. I have not done it. Where it's like, for me, it's like if I start redlining right from the start, like that baby's over. Like it's not, <laughs> it is not, it is not going to go well for sure. Like I just have to start out where it feels like threshold pace and then, you know, drive it downwards as I go. Not to say that I've done it, but I think, you know, logistically speaking, that's probably the best fit for me personally. Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult. It's a fine line to balance. I feel like it's almost like, um, playing with wires on a bomb. <laughs> And if you even mess up just a little bit, just the whole thing explodes. There you go, man. That's why they call it blowing up. There you go. That's exactly <laughs> right. All right. So, so you have you have big dreams. You have big goals. You know, from a long term goal perspective, you just did something really, really cool, fun, and exciting. Um, while we are certainly unsure of what the future holds from a race standpoint, what does the future hold for you from a training standpoint? Right now, I'm just kind of floating in limbo. I had plans to do Houston, but, you know, that got canceled this week. So, and, you know, I was not really sure whether I was going to travel or not. Um, right now, I've been holding my uh, weekly mileage at around 60 miles per week, just so that I could kind of be ready to jump at the opportunity if something opened up. But at the same time, I'm not really trying to work against the grain here. You know, everything is getting canceled. And to an extent, I feel like I should just kind of go with the flow, work on 5k, 10k stuff. So that's pretty much been my uh, route so far. Gotcha. Well, Jeremy, we're going to get going. Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on continued improvement, sticking with it um, time after time. And it's just been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Also, big shout outs to Prevenex and to the Richmond Marathon. These guys are great. I love both of these companies so much. Richmond Marathon, I had John on the other day. He was just so interesting about how they're handling the race day logistics of the Richmond Marathon. And it really is a wonderful opportunity for so many people. Prevnex always supporting the show, always supporting me as a runner as well. And I couldn't be more thankful for that. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.